In Mzanzi, duck meat is sold to high-end restaurants, some delis and farmers markets. And if you get it right, it's the perfect niche market to step into. Now this week, we share the ultimate duck meat farming guide for beginners. Dr. Jane Bays, Free State Agriculture's Safety Risk Analyst, chats to us about the hardships up-and-coming farmers in Puta di Chaba face and how they're being held hostage by stock thieves with very little support from the police. Drumroll please, we lift the veil on a new campaign with Meadow Feeds who farmers turn to for much more than just feed. Now I didn't know this, but experts say that the dry period is the most important phase of a dairy cow's lactation cycle. Hubert Nolte, National Technical Manager for Ruminants at Meadow Feeds, explains why. And our book of the week is The Sell, The Secrets of Selling Anything to Anyone by Frederick Eklund. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Letitia Piers, who owns a natural hair and skincare range. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 116 of Farmers Inside Track. This podcast is powered by Meadow Feeds. I'm Don Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi, and a warm welcome back to my co-host and Food from Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa. Hey, Dawn, it's great to be back on South Africa's most downloaded farmers podcast, and of course, a warm welcome to Meadow Feeds, indeed. Now, I'm really interested in this week's duck farming guide for beginner farmers, Dawn. And of course, Nicole Ludov chats to Freddie Cross, who's the owner of Kleinkauer Duck Farm in Barrydale, about the ins and outs of producing this sort of meat. Thank you so much, Dawn and Duncan. Freddie, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into duck farming? We are duck farmers in the Barrydale region. We relocated to Barrydale in the Clan Karoo more than a year ago. We arrived here looking for a small-scale farming operation that was relatively cheap to start up and low risk was what we were looking at. We discovered duck farming, researching many other, other types of farming. Duck farming ticked all the boxes that we wanted and thought would be a success in this area. Can you tell us a little bit about duck farming? What are some of the basics an aspiring duck farmer needs to know? The ducks that we farm with are Peking ducks. Reason being, we found that they are bigger ducks. They are a little bit heavier than the other ducks, so we don't have a risk of them flying over the fences. They're not very good flyers. They are easily domesticated. Their feeding habits are quickly learned. They will go into their own enclosure at night. Their egg-laying capabilities are very good. They lay eggs. We get a good supply of eggs. There's not a problem with that. And of course, their meat is well liked in the restaurants and all salty restauranteurs. Peking duck meat is in demand. With duck farming, you have the advantage of ducklings and the adults are very hardy and adjust well to most conditions. They adapt well and that we have found in this year that we have been farming with the ducks. Our ducks are all free range. We do have a supplement feed that I supply them. I also grow our own feed. We plant spinach that I plant and then various other greens that they supplement on over and above their pellets so they get their grow feed that they have. 
at a later stage, you would then also give them their layer pellets, which we get from the local co-ops, or you do have grain suppliers that supply that. You also need a fair amount of open land. The ducks need to free range and range good exercise for them in good sunlight. Water is very important. They love water. The happiest times are probably in water. That's why a dam is also necessary. A good supply of water. I don't think your municipal water, your bills would be way too high. We have to put in fresh water, drinking water twice a day, sometimes three times a day, depending on weather conditions. As they eat, they drink water with it. So water is very important. The camp should be fenced in with enough shade. Trees, we have many trees around that we've planted and we're existing trees. Kukui grass are planted in on it. They like that as well. They scratch around in the kukui grass. And shade, as I said, the trees. And then shelter from conditions as well, weather conditions, rain or wind and that type of thing. They would need little boxes that uh, they can normally shelter in. I have my ducks all in enclosures. Their whole free-range area has been fenced in. It's about a two-meter wire mesh fence, keeping out variety predators that are attracted to the ducks and, of course, the eggs. That is another thing that we've taken into consideration, and I think it is something that is important. They are all ducklings which you sell. That would be the equipment that is a necessity, is an incubator, based on how many ducklings you have and how many females you have and how many eggs you're going to have. Your success rate out of the incubator is probably about 70%. So you're looking at 30% that might not have hatched due to various reasons they weren't um, fertilized. Your day-old chicks, you have to have an incubator, which you would get your eggs, put them in the incubator, and whatever your 28 days later, you'd get your hatch out of that or your batch that you've incubated, and then you'd sell your day-old chicks. And then, of course, your eggs you can sell off, which is not a problem. There is a demand for duck eggs. They are a little bit more expensive than your normal eggs, your chicken eggs or poultry eggs, but there is a market for it. So we're still pursuing all three markets until we either get it running in one line or three, which is like a three-cycle business, which is perfect. What are some of the challenges or difficulties you've experienced as a duck farmer? And what about some of the highlights or rewards? Another challenge is electricity. I think we get to that with the heat-controlled facilities that we need as with the ducklings. So the suggestion would be to get your ducklings in summer where your constant temperature is much better than in winter. They like to have hot weather, so keep that in mind is maybe a good time to get your ducklings in summer. Water, as I said, is important. They drink water all day. Fresh water needs to be there, and your dam needs to be cleaned out regularly. Another thing is plan your facilities properly and prepare them before you actually get in your day-old ducklings. It is a challenging time to be faced with all these ducklings around. That is challenging. Small facilities or cages that you have them in when you do get them has to be temperature controlled. The temperature is normally around about 37 degrees Celsius, which you then decrease weekly as they get older. So after five weeks the temperature would drop each day from, say, 37 degrees minus 5 per week until they're five-week-old ducklings, and then you put them out into the open enclosures. So that's very important that there's a temperature-controlled facility that you keep them in. We started off, we would cover everything, eggs, stale ducklings, which we would sell, and then ducks for slaughter. We then found that there's certain challenges to that, starting with the slaughtering. There are very few abattoirs that actually slaughter your ducks. Your poultry 
abattoir being your chickens, don't do ducks because your duck plucking is a lot different to the chickens. It's a lot harder. Ducks pluck more difficult than your chickens or fowls. We've been challenged with that in this area where we are. We can drive to facilities that do slaughter, but then there's a cost that comes into the equation. So uh, that's something we're looking at. Make sure that you research on that. Finally, do you have any tips or pieces of advice for aspiring duck farmers? Your target market, important, most rewarding. Lots of pleasure in seeing your ducklings grow up into adult ducks. We wouldn't swap it for, I don't think, any other farming at this stage. Thanks, Nicole. And great having you, Freddie Cross, from the Klenkaru Duck Farm. Next up, Dr. Jane Bass, Free State Agriculture Safety Risk Analyst, chats to us about the hardship up-and-coming farmers in Putarichaba in the Free State face and how they're being held hostage by stock thieves with very little support from the police. Now, Dr. Bass, what is the current situation in the Free State for farmers and specifically farmers in Putarichaba dealing with stock theft? Concerning stock theft, it was not actually mentioned how it is in the free state, but it's a national figure of stock theft. So concerning the free state is that we had a decrease in our reporting figure on livestock theft with 11.39%. I think it's 121 cases less from October the 31st of December when compared to the previous year's period, the same period. So it seems that there is a decrease in livestock theft and that farmers should not actually complain because something is being done about stock theft. When you look at the imbezo that was held by the two MECs in Kwakwa and Putadichaba, now Putadichaba area consists of five police stations they are Putarichaba, Makwani, Namahadi, Tseke and Tseseng. So those five police stations falls within the Kwakwa area. And the Imbizo was held at Putarichaba police station. Now the Imbizo focused on the anti-stock thief patrollers that are busy in that area assisting the steps in reducing and combating livestock theft in that area. I think they started a few years ago, since I am at Free State Agriculture, they are already busy in that area, so it's more than seven, eight years that they are busy to fight livestock safety. Now, it was apparently mentioned during the Imbizo that they do not have sufficient vehicles. There was a vehicle or two allocated to them by some former MECs of Police Roads and Transport, but some of that vehicles broke down and then were also allocated some horses to do patrols, especially in the mountainous area of Kwakwa. Now, it was also agreed by former MECs that they will install some camera systems there and the network, especially nearer to the border. They complained a lot about cross-border livestock theft from a Lesotho site. And they said that a lot of the livestock has been taken to Lesotho. They were very dissatisfied. They said that some police members are involved and they need to hear that the police will deal with them. They're struggling sometimes to open some livestock cases. They also struggle 
to get some police officials, visible policing, and also stock theft unit to come out to the crime scenes that they do not get any feedback or limited feedback on their cases. From the police, follow up of the information that was provided. And they are also saying that visible policing officials and also from the stock theft unit are involved in livestock theft in the area. Now, according to Nico Base, chairperson of the Red Meat Producers Organization, farmers are not happy about the services of the South African Police Service and the stock theft unit. Why is this the case? But the Puta de Chaba policing station falls within our high crime areas in the Free State, inclusive of a few other stations near the borders like Fixburg, Furiesburg, Ladybrand, and then also the Zastron area in the south of the Free State. If I actually can just give you an indication as to what the turnaround is and how do we see it happening practically, and what the farmers should be aware of is that it remains a problem of not reporting specific incidents to the police. We have noticed that there is a huge underreporting in specific areas in the free state where lots of farmers have lost trust in the criminal justice system. So they're not reporting any and livestock theft is our biggest property related crime in the free state. And then finally, what is the turnaround and how do you see it happening practically? What should farmers be aware of and take action on today? It's a combination of a lot of factors and things that needs to be done. It is really the responsibility of the producers and livestock owners also to look after their own property and their stock. So you need to also put measures in place. Maybe firstly, look at the people that you employ or people that you ask to look after your stock. In some of the stock theft cases, there is definitely a link between some of the people in employment or or working for a specific farmer that can be involved in providing the information and also maybe benefiting in terms of specific monetary value from livestock theft. So you need to trust that persons that you actually make responsible for looking after your livestock theft. So if you do not really trust, I will advise that you ask the police to do a clearance on them in order to see whether they were maybe in the past involved in specific criminal activity. So this is the first thing. Then the other thing is that you also need to count your stock regularly. You need to make it maybe twice a day if you can do that in order to depict any criminal activity fairly early and quickly. Uh, We have seen now the quicker that you report it to the police and there is a response and activation from the police, the bigger is the success rate. It's important to count your stock regularly and also to keep a stock register. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Jane Bass, Freestead Agriculture Safety Risk Analyst. Now for that moment we've all been waiting for, I am super excited about a brand new campaign with Meadow Feeds who offers our farmers so much more than just feed. 
Dawn had an interesting chat with Hubert Nolte, who is the technical manager for ruminants at Meadowfeet, and he advises new farmers not to forget about the dry cows. Over to you, Dawn. Welcome, Hubert, and thank you so much for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. Hi, Dawn, and good day to all the farmers out there. Now, today we're focusing on the dry cows, and you're specifically saying do not forget the dry cows. What is the dry period? What is it all about? Yeah, I think it's important to just qualify what we mean with the dry period. That refers to the period when the one lactation stops, and then there's sort of a resting period before she eats off with the next lactation and start producing milk again. Typically, that's about 60 days in length, but there are variants to that time span. And why is this period so important? What happens during this time? Well, the cow works very hard. The modern dairy cows produce 50 or 60, and the top cows 80 liters of milk a day. And at that time, she's also pregnant. So she's also nourishing a fetus. So that's hard work. And then the mammary gland or the other needs to rest and reset before she starts with the next lactation and starts all over again. And that's how these cows have been modeled. They've been bred to do it. But it does not take away that really work hard and they need a resting phase, sort of recap and resettle and position themselves properly for the next lactation. You mentioned briefly just the period, but why does this period matter and what is the length more or less? As I briefly referred to already, typically the dry period is about 60 days in length, but there are various different options available. So clearly it makes sense from a farmer's point of view if you could shorten that period because that's the period when the cow does not generate income. So for every day that you can keep her in milk longer, she generates hopefully a profit for you. Research shows that when you go shorter than about 45 days for mature cows, then milk production in the following lactation is negatively impacted. For first lactation cows, they seem to do better at a longer dry period. We try not to keep them dry for shorter than 60 days, but when you go longer than 70 days for any of these cows, milk production in ensuing lactation will be negatively impacted. And then as I understand it, there's also very two distinct groups of cows when it comes to this. Could you maybe explain the difference and also what are the nutritional requirements that comes with it? Quite often, the dry cows are the forgotten cows on the farm because they're not in the milking parlor and they're not seen every day in some cases even. And they quite often sort of shoved into a back corner of the farm and only brought back a couple of days before they have to calf. But that is wrong. Remember that the cow's lactation actually starts at the beginning of the dry period because that's the whole preparation period. So we divide these cows into what we call the far-off cows, and that's the cows that have just been dried off. And that's about 30 to 40 days from dry-off into the dry period. And then they enter into the steam-up phase or the close-up dry cow period. And we categorize them into these two groups because they have significantly different nutritional requirements. So we have to care for them differently in terms of what we feed them and how we look after them. If a farmer is listening and wants to understand the best way to treat the cow while they're in this dry period, what are some of the details or aspects that you'd maybe like them to consider or even think about during this dry period? So let's handle the far-off dry cows first. And remember that the cow was in the milking parlor. Mm -hmm. So she's been 
producing 25 or 30 or some cows even 38 liters of milk per day. And then all of a sudden, she's got to stop that without warning, which is a tough ask. She's modeled, she eats the proper food, and then tomorrow morning she is just not coming to the parlor. So the major physiological change that she has to handle in this 30 to 40 days is what we call active involution of the mammary gland. Discontinuing milk evacuation from the other is the main signal for the cow to stop producing milk. But what happens is, although we stop evacuating the milk from the mammary gland, she keeps on producing milk for about four or five days afterwards. But then at about four to five days, she gets the signal that this milk is going nowhere and she has to stop producing it. This is an uncomfortable period for her and she can sometimes experience a little bit of pain, but we handle that as best we can on farm. But it holds risk because if she keeps on producing milk, the milk is not evacuated, then obviously pressure in the other builds up. And with that, the teeth canals dilute because of the pressure. And that opens the ideal opportunity for bacteria to enter the mammary gland. So the ladies out there can probably uh, <laughs> identify with this. You sit with this pressure in the other and teeth canals are dilated. Bacteria can easily penetrate. Secondly, we're not evacuating milk from the other anymore. So when bacteria enter the other, we don't take it out. So then they can colonize in the other and sit there and do whatever bad stuff they want. And the third thing to keep in mind is when the cow is in the milking parlor, whether she's milked twice or three times a day, we disinfect the udders and sanitize the teeth every time before and after milking. So we, we keep the environment around the other relatively clean. And the fourth thing that increases risk for these cows is that the immune system shortly after dry off is preoccupied with taking care of the degenerated milk secretory cells. These cells are not working. Some of them die off and she's got to get rid of them. But that's sort of the focus at that stage. And now there's a whole load of bacteria that potentially can enter the udder and the immune system can be slow to react and that can obviously increase the risk for mastitis. And the final point I want to make here is that as she stops producing milk, there are certain, let's call it natural defense mechanisms. As this pressure builds up in the udder and milk secretion stops, those natural defense mechanisms against these bacteria only activated around about day six, seven. So that first week after dry off is really a high risk period for the cow where ugly bugs can enter into the mammary gland and then obviously cause a load of issues for the poor cow. Monitoring the cows during that first few days is vital for a farmer. Very. That is key. And once again, quite often we find that once this cow have produced milk, 300 or 350 or 400 days in lactation, and now she's dry and she's got two months to get ready for the next lactation. But then we tend to forget about her, shove her off there in a corner. But she is really going through a load of physiological changes with high risk. And if we don't manage this first 25 to 30 days very well, we put her in a muddy place full of bugs you're going to end up with a cow that has mastitis even before she enters the lactation, mm -hmm. the next lactation. 
and that's going to be negative to the animal and obviously to your bottom line as a farmer. If you do that well and she achieves um, what we call steady state involution of the mammary gland, then she's reasonably safe because what happens here is in steady state, she has gone through the associated anatomical changes to the teat ends. A proper keratin plugs have been formed in the teat canal, so bugs can't go in. They sealed off as a matter of speech. And the increased antimicrobial secretions in the other have been optimized. So she's all better positioned to take care. If some bacteria goes into the other, she is strong and well positioned to take care of it. But the real threat here is that early, that first 7 to 10 days is key. That is when bacteria can enter the udder and if we don't feed her well and ensure that she's got a proper and a strong immune system, she's at risk. Let's focus now on the close-up dry cows. What is this period and why is this so important and what are the requirements when it comes to this period for a farmer? So the close-up period refers to the three weeks before her next lactation starts. So remember, this is actually what we call where she initiates the transition period and she actually, although she's not really being milked, she's actually starting to produce milk. So we have to look after her well here. What is important to keep in mind is that these cows go through several transitions. One is the physiological changes from a lactating animal to a dry animal, hormonal changes, but she's pregnant. In the last two months of pregnancy, about 70% of the fetal growth takes place. So we have to look after this cow to have a healthy calf. And we want to milk. If it's a heifer, we want to milk that heifer two years from now. The important thing in the three weeks prior to calving is that the mammary gland prepares to produce milk. And the secretion of these milk components starts to increase from about 14 days prior to calving. But copious colostrum production actually starts about a couple of days, about three days before calving. At this stage, we said the mammary gland is preparing to produce milk. About three days before calving, it starts to produce milk actively. So once again, you sit with this increased pressure because she's not being milked. She only comes to the parlor after she calved. Once again, you sit with that increased pressure and potential for bacteria to increase because the pressure can push out those keratin plugs, maybe before calving already. In a period when she really needs to eat and look after herself, hormonal changes manages feed intake down. So in this last three weeks, she'll eat less and less, and three to five days before she calves, feed intake can sometimes drop as low as 30 to 40% of what she would eat four weeks ago. So that's the challenge. We are working with a high-producing animal that needs to be kept healthy with a strong immune system, and now she doesn't want to eat. And for us as nutritionists, that is a real challenge to get that cow to eat the food that we place in front of her. And remember that despite this, we also have to transition the digestive system. So she's been on a lactating diet, then she went to a high-fiber, low-density, bulky, far-off diet, and now we transition her again, what we call a steam-up diet. That's sort of an intermediate diet because a couple of days from now, she's going to be entering the lactation group. And then we have to feed her rocket fuel to get maximum milk out of her. And if we don't transition the digestive system properly, we're going to have problems shortly after she coughed. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Wernolte, National Technical Manager for Ruminants at Meadowfeeds. So much respect for the work that you do and everything of the best. 
Thank you for having me. Thanks, Don, and great having you, Hubert Nolte, who's of course the National Technical Manager for Ruminants at Meadowfeeds. Now remember to catch our monthly check-ins with Meadowfeeds, the go-to people for farmers who require more than just feed. Next up, and before we let you go, our book of the week is The Sell, The Secrets of Selling Anything to Anyone by Frederick Eklund. In this book, the author gives you tips on selling your service or product. Free State Farmer Bukula Jack reviews this book for us. It is all good and well to produce the best crops, fruits and vegetables or livestock, but if you cannot sell your products, then you will not succeed as a farmer. Sales and marketing are important components for the success of agricultural businesses. With effective agricultural sales and marketing, farmers are able to increase profits, boost sales and reach out to more customers. Agriculture is multifaceted and so it requires a logical breakdown of the supply and demand faced by the industry. From there, effective marketing can be used to help bring produce to the public or vice versa. The Cell, The Secrets to Selling Anything to Anyone, is a book by Frederick Eklant, USA's number one real estate broker and star of Bravo's Million Dollar Listing New York, where he shares his secrets for success and getting what you want in life no matter who you are or what you do. Frederick Eklund narrates his experiences from childhood to his present-day success, unpacking his personal and career evolutions as an effective backdrop to sharing some of his sales secrets, tricks, gimmicks, and aces up his sleeves. In this book, Eklund gives you tips on selling your service or product. He has interesting anecdotes such as, when you're selling something, what you're really selling is you. You market yourself you your own brand or product or one of my favorites you can only achieve success if you understand what motivates you to work and lastly once you have a good understanding of your product and your brand you need to find your customers because a great product is meaningless if people don't know about it seek out the people who are looking for your service product or message and the best way to do this is through social media these are some of the tips and hints that you will find in this book. As an agricultural entrepreneur, once you can sell your brand and your produce, once you can make people want your product and produce and choose it over your competitors, then you are well on your way to financial success. I believe that this book will give a lot of farmers a few secrets, tricks and strategies that will be beneficial to the farmer's enterprise and help them to succeed. Agriculture is not just about farming, it's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. When your family doesn't settle for anything less than magnificence, give them the best with Magnificent Maize Meal. On the field or in the classroom, Magnificent helps your family perform magnificently. Magnificent is a product of VKB Group. Visit vkb.co.za or like our Facebook page for more. VKB. For the love of the land. Definitely sounds like a must read. Remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us on info at foodformzanzi.co.za. But before we let you go, our farmer tip of the week comes from Letitia Piers, who's the owner of Shea by Design, a natural hair and skincare range. Now she shares five tips for agripreneurs considering to take the plunge and become an entrepreneur. Get a separate business account from a personal one. Or if you do get a business account, you need to be registered. 
there are various different bank accounts that provide support to small businesses. Be willing to learn, be flexible, try different things, be open-minded and just try and get the perfect formula for you. Procurement is a very important part of a small business as well, especially for agripreneurs. If you do from the ground level your own research and build up from there, you'll appreciate your business much more. Try and find a mentor. I have a business mentor for the past year and it's been eye-opening and life-changing for me because they have experience in the business. But it doesn't have to be a physical mentor. It can be someone online that you watch. Then you adapt their ways of doing things, their skills to how you approach your business and how the way you approach your career going forward as well. And our farmer tip of the week from Letitia Pears, owner of Shea by Design, a natural hair and skincare range, brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track, powered by Meadow Feeds. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. Plus, don't forget to catch our weekly sessions on all things farming on Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. Yes, yes. And remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. And be sure to also check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. But for me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, our producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, have a great week. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.